Welcome to Maddie Speaks. My name is Kevin Maurer, Director of Community Engagement for the Cape Fear Collective. I've spent my entire career telling stories, but nothing is a substitute for the lived experience. That's why when Maddie, an African-American woman, was willing to tell me her story about living and working in our community, I jumped at the chance. On paper, Maddie is part of the American middle class. She works in healthcare, and her husband is a public servant. But as we talk, you'll hear the reality of her every day. It's a struggle from making rent to overcoming systemic racism, and then the pandemic hits. This is a rare, unvarnished glimpse at our life. One life, one struggle. I wish Maddie's story was unique, but as you listen, keep in mind, her struggles are more common than you think. But empathy is our best tool for understanding. On this episode, we pulled census tract data from where Maddie used to live and where, where she lives now, and compared and contrasted what the numbers say and what Maddie sees on the ground. We're back with Maddie. On, on this episode, we're going to do something different. Um, in the previous episodes, I've, uh, I usually will drop in with some numbers, but on this episode, we decided to sort of pull some census tract data uh, and look at where Maddie used to live and then where she lives now and, and talk about sort of what the numbers tell us, but also talk about what the decisions that Maddie made in order to, to, to get her kids into different schools and, and in a different environment. So let's start with the uh, let's start with the first one here. Um, percentage of the population that's white in the old census tract, according to the data, it was fifty percent white and forty two percent black. Does that how's that sound about right or no? Not at all. No. Well, it depends. So when you okay, help me break this down real quick. Even though I know mm-hmm. we're on here. When you say census track, like how far is that going? Like, it's just, a just that address. Say that again. It's a snapshot around that address. I don't have the exact measurement, but it's not. It's not a huge area. It's a decent size area. I'd have to go. I don't feel like that's right at all. Then for that area. No. Mm-hmm. What do you think it was like? What is your anecdotally when you think back to that old your old home? Where what do you? Think? I would have said like 75 percent black. Okay. Mm, I'll say 60% black. I would say 20% white and 20% Hispanic because it was noticeable Hispanic population around that area. Which in Wilmington, because I think black, the black population makes up like 18% of Wilmington's total population is is what the numbers are the the, the most up-to-date numbers. We'll see because we had new census numbers coming, but you know. Yeah, I would uh, be interested to know. But if you look at the census tracts, you can see that while it's 18% of the overall population in Heron County, it, there, in certain pockets of, of Wilmington, there's a, the, it's high concentrations of one or the other. Because if you look at your old so, census tract, or your new census tract, it's 85% white and 6% black. That makes absolute sense. That one sounds <laughs> spot on. <laughs> Right, and so so anecdotally, you, that's what you see. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, but but that's somewhat that's so Wilmington to me, and that there's you know in one part of town, it's it's almost according to the census tract, it's it's near 50, 50, 50 to forty two, but then you go, I don't know, four miles, five miles down the same, down the road, you get it's eighty five and six. And yeah, and that one makes so much sense. I can give you an example. When we first moved to where we live now, 
we were probably here about six months. And I'm telling you, we hadn't seen any black people. We might have seen them, but we had never spoke to them. And one day there were three black people. We have a community mailbox and my husband and two other black ladies were at the mailbox. And the one lady said, my God, I don't know if they've ever seen this many of us in one space at a time. And I was like, dead serious. That's what she said to him. Because where we live is not, it's, I don't see them right here very much. <laughs> but what, 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 how was that adjustment? Knowing that you were moving into that area and knowing that you were, it's so drastically different than where you were. I am adaptable. Mm -hmm. So I, we've spoke before, I'm biracial. So I don't necessarily, me personally in my own self, that's not always the first thing I try to see, but I know it's going to happen. So while for me personally, I was a little more like, okay, I can do this. We can move here and it's not going to be a big deal. I had to also think about my kids who, while they are adaptable, they are used to very diverse. They're used to at least having people that somewhat look like them. Um, so that transition was, especially in the beginning, it was very tough because they went from a school where they not only saw a lot of black kids, they had black leaders, they had black educators, they had black principal. Um, and they went to a school where there's not one black educator. There's not one black person in leadership. They have two black social workers and that was it because they were in middle school when we transitioned. So it shouldn't come as any shock that Jackson uh, doesn't have any black teachers in his school. Because if you just look at the numbers from the school year 2019-2020 for New Hanover County, out of the 1,751 teachers, uh, 16 103 of them were white, 86 were black, and 62 were race other. And even breaking it down further, um, only 20 secondary uh, teachers uh, are black in the New Hanover County school system. So, you know, the numbers sort of prove out uh, Manny and Jackson's observation, uh, kind of a lack of diversity in some of the, the school staff. And literally no black educators at the school. Did they, did they speak about this? Did you guys talk about it? I mean, it's obviously was it noticeable. Us and the kids, like my husband and I and the kids. Either, either you and the kids or you and your husband, did you guys talk a little bit about this, this drastic jump and change in mm -hmm. demographics? I, because the school that they went transition to, I went to when I first moved here. And we've talked before, I moved here from Ohio. And when I moved here, I was used to seeing black and white couples. I was used to seeing black people, white people, everybody. And so when we moved here, it was a culture shock for me because I had never been in a school where you only saw predominantly one color. So in your mind, you hope, because when I moved here, it was 2001 and now we're in 20, when we moved here, 2017 was when we moved here to the new house, our new apartment. And you hope and 15, 16 years that minds have progressed a little bit and you hope with the way that Wilmington is, you know, building up all these apartments and these housing developments that it is bringing something. <laughs> when they got there, it wasn't bringing anything. Like it's very, um, and it might not shock other people, but to me, I guess it's kind of shocking that like 
as much evolving as Wilmington is trying to say they're doing, they're not. Um, so we knew, I knew for 100% certain, while I try not to see it, I knew it was going to be a culture shock from, for the family. How did you how did you mitigate that culture shock? Is there anything you did to sort of to help ease that transition, or did you just sort of let it let the shock? It's sort of like jumping in the cold water. You let that shock hit, and then you adjust. We let the shock hit. We had to talk about you can't do, you know, when little Johnny and little Susie are cutting up. You can't do. I'm sorry. I know that I use the names Johnny and Susie. They are the best that I have for little. Caucasian children, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, we had to have that talk. So I'm big on letting you experience something and then we discuss it. So it was kind of that, this is what you got to do. Um, Jack begged me when he was in eighth grade. He begged and begged and begged and begged and begged to not have to go to the high school he was slated to go to. And I had to make the decision because of the way our life is set up. The school he wanted to go to had open enrollment, but you have to provide transportation. And school hours and work hours, it all doesn't mix together. However, I do think that he has finally started to adapt some. And as a mother, I think I look at it too from the perspective of while I would love for him to have experience some of the programs that the other school has to offer that um, he, I wanted him to learn, how do I say this? I wanted him to know what it was going to be like whenever you go into corporate. I want you to know that there are going to be white people who don't work as hard as you. And you have to work so much harder than them. And you still may not get ahead of them. I wanted and it sounds so harsh to say, but I did want him to start to see that. Um, I think that Jackson's ideas of college, I think that he'll end up at a predominantly white college because it's where he, what he wants to do, where he wants to go. Um, and so I'm like, buddy, you gotta get used to seeing it like this. You can't, where you're going in life, you're not going to be able to dictate what color is around you. So I need you, you've been able to experience where you're around, you know, a large mixed culture, but now I need you to experience where you're around this culture and that culture. And then I need you to maneuver that. I need you to figure out how to navigate that life. So, I mean, this was somewhat calculated knowing the demographics were going to switch this much, but you mm -hmm. sort of calculated it so that you feel like you're setting your children up though for success in, in the future. Mm-hmm. And do I think it's backfired? Yep. I think it's, I think it's backfired in some aspects. So you have to remember that I do have an, we have a daughter who is 14 as well um, in blending our families. And um, I'm sure one day we'll get to talk about the life that is raising her. Um, but her story isn't the same as Jackson's. Um, she was super excited to go to this new school and wasn't received the way she thought she would be. So she's kind of fallen into some bad crowds and she's made some not great choices, you know, and it, it, 
there are different things. And with her, you know, I'm not, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure how well she was going to thrive in that environment. Um, And in the beginning, it was like she was thriving better than Jack. And so I was like, okay, well, we're good. Like, we'll just get Jackson to raise the bar some. And then, you know, things, it's, I'm a firm believer you're not going to nail it 100% all the time. But I think in the big picture, I think that she was able to also get some of the help that she needed in some areas. Um, So we're, and some things that needed to be addressed were able to be exposed to be addressed. So it backfired in some areas, but it's not at the same time. Like we've been able to move forward and, you know, kind of get through it. Would you do it again? If you could do the, do the choice again, would you do it again? I don't know. I really don't know. So it's still a work in progress. Mm-hmm. You? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's see. Median, median household income. In your old track, it was 34000 In the new one, it was fifty nine. That's quite a jump. It is. 59 for the new one sounds a little low. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the median income. So. And 34 for the old neighborhood. It sounds kind of high. (laughs) So both numbers don't ring true to you. I can tell you like this. I always said our old neighborhood was a step above um, living in like public housing predominantly that neighborhood was section eight recipients. We were one of the few that were not. Okay. Um, and to be on section eight, you're not making $34,000 a year. Cause if you are, you're paying, you know, 10% of that with section eight, they had you pay, I believe it's 10 or 30%, whatever it is of your income has to go towards your rent. So if you're making that kind of money, I mean, I just think it's very, um, I think it's high. <laughs> yeah. And you think it's low at 59 where you are? Mm-hmm. We live, yeah, because we live in an apartment complex, but right next to us is a housing development. And I definitely think you got to be making more than 50. Like, I know it's the median. I know it's that mm-hmm. middle number. Now, in our apartment complex, I could see that being very true. Okay. Because on paper, we make more than that. Right, right. Which we, we you know, we did some arithmetic, some, some guesswork, and, and that's where we got some of the data when we were talking about it uh, in the early episodes, the last set, about, you know, what, what a budget might look like and, and, and sort of how, why you budget down to the, the number. I, the last number I want to look at here and t- talk about is uh, persons below the poverty line, Okay. So the old track, it was 27% and out of that, 44% of kids under 18. And in the new track, it's only 15%, but 21% of kids under the age of 18 are below the poverty line. So tell me again. So in my old neighborhood, 27% was below the poverty line? Yep, 27% below the poverty line in your old neighborhood. And, at, and then 44% of children under the age of 18. I feel like that's not, I feel like that first number is not correct at all. Like at all. (laughs) I mean, when I was talking about predominantly everybody had section eight, like everybody 
and I, I'm probably speaking way out of turn. I don't know all the numbers all the time, but like with getting Medicaid and food stamps and things like that, like you're not riding like too either at the poverty line or you're not too much above it. And I mean, everybody over there, everybody. So that's very interesting to me. The new number, the new neighborhood, I mean, um, maybe. But I live also in an area now where people aren't going to tell you if they need help. Well, yeah. See, I, uh, I want to get to So real quick, just for, for our own um, knowledge here, the threshold for a family group of four, including two children, the poverty line is $24,250. Who's living off of that? Not in Wilmington. In Wilmington, North Carolina. Who's living off of that? Before we go any further, let's take a quick look at some of the uh, median household incomes. According to Data USA, New Hanover County's median household income is at $52,756. Across the river in Brunswick, it's at $51,164. And up north of New Hanover County in Pender County, is it's $49,357. So just as a comparison, all three of these are under the national median annual income of $61,937. Yeah, I can't even break that down. That's crazy. <laughs> that is insane to me. I think the median income or the living wage, or the, yeah, the living wage income in Wilmington, I think it's 59, if I recall. I'll double check that number. Uh, but I'm, I, it's somewhere in the 50, 59. For a household? Yeah. So, I mean, you're looking at half of that, roughly, a little, a little, a little, uh, you know. Two. And when you think about the cost of living, like, I think about my rent alone, where I live right now. Even in the old neighborhood, what I paid for rent, you spend, you know, 24000 you would spend over half of your money just in paying for a place to live. Mm-hmm. Not any bills, not anything beyond. I mean, that's crazy. That is. It's interesting. What what I like so much right now about this conversation is, is, you know, a lot of times people will look at these numbers and extrapolate what they think those areas are like. And yet, you know, when you hear the numbers that you're living in, you've lived in one of these census tracts and you live there in the new, the other census tract now. The fact that they don't ring true, I think, speaks to this idea that there's so much more underneath these numbers that we have to really dig into and, and listen to. Well, I mean, here's a, here's a couple other ones. Tell me what you think of these. Uh, high school education or higher, 87% in your old census tract, 96% in your new one. That new one, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, the old one, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. So, I'm trying to find the big discrepancy here. Okay, here, how about this one? I'll, I'll give you two and we'll talk about them. Households with one or more computer, okay? In your old census tract, it was 79%. In the new one, it's 94%. And then if New you, one makes sense. Yeah. Old one, no. You don't, the old one, 79% seems a bit much. My kids went to a school where they had grants and every kid was given an iPad at the school because they knew that the kids didn't have anything at home. So I don't know how you could, that's, I mean, that to me, that's a very high number for every child to need to be a 
signed an iPad at school to be able to do work because wow. they didn't have it at home. I mean, and connectivity has become huge with this, with the COVID pandemic. Right, and that's the other thing is like, you're having to open up the school so that you can, and then on top of it, you're having to download the work to the computer. So when the kid goes home, if they don't have internet, they can work on it without internet access. So that, I mean, and that's where we live now. I mean, all the schools were doing that, but yeah, the new neighborhood number for that makes sense, but the old number, no. All right, here we go. Households with internet in the in your new neighborhood, ninety one percent. Okay. In your old neighborhood, sixty four percent. That I could see. Probably a little lower would make more sense to me, but that seems high. But probably more accurate than saying seventy nine percent of those people had a computer. <laughs> um, yeah. But what what I think this also speaks to is that look in the, in your old census tract where you have if if you if you believe that the poverty numbers are are worse than they are portrayed in this sixty four percent is lower for internet access and that and you're already looking at an achievement gap there. You sure. get, it's compounded now when they have to work from home and don't have the connectivity to do it. Correct. So moving I, your kids, though, in some ways, like you got to think, like moving your kids into this census tract, you probably achieved what you wanted to achieve in some ways. Moving them into the new census tract. The new census tract, right? Yeah. Um, for us personally, yes, I think that I've achieved. Um, differences. I think that we've made it where we're able to have these things for our family personally. But when you're talking, like I said, when you're talking about looking at that just on a big picture, it's just, that's still crazy. I'm really sitting here just kind of mind blown on that, these numbers. What surprised you the most with the numbers? Just how off they sound. <laughs> um, because when you stand at a bus stop, because our old neighborhood, there were 40 kids. It was literally the school had one bus that ran just for our neighborhood because there were so many kids. And you talk to the parents and you hear parents and you're like, and just thinking if I'm standing in a group of 10, there was a time where all 10 of us didn't have internet access and all 10 of us did not have a computer. And I can tell you that for a hundred percent certain. And so the, it just, the range and what would make sense and what doesn't make sense. Now, could it be that when you're saying 79% of people, that's 79% of the people who filled it out, correct? Correct. Yeah, you got to fill it out. So if there's 100 people, but only five people filled it out, I mean, then I guess that's the, the difference. And then you're looking at the new neighborhood, which is predominantly white. Mm-hmm. They've all gotten their, you know, they filled it out. 
it, I think that that just kind of speaks volumes because I would really, especially with the new one, because I feel like people pushed for this census to be filled out this time, like the just the 2020 census. So I feel like being that people have pushed for it to be filled out, I'm really hoping people genuinely filled it out and it's not such a, a wide range because I would be really interested to compare what you're looking at versus what's getting ready to come out now. Well, and it's something we're definitely going to do. And I, and I think you got, like these numbers are 10 years old, so things may have changed, but I, I think you've got to something very, uh, that we need to talk, talk through because it's filling it out. Like you see, so you, you think basically the data is skewed because not enough people have filled it out. Absolutely. And why Absolutely. don't, but why, why do you think that, you know, your new census tract that's predominantly white filled it all out and your old census tract that, that's not predominantly white didn't fill it out? Well, it is, but both are majority white. But yeah, you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a lot of different things. I don't know how the census gets mailed out, but I, like I said, I find it very interesting that people that I know that live in very, and they're not necessarily white, but they're, you know, African-Americans, but they live in very affluent neighborhoods, which I do too, it's, you know, looking at everything. But it's interesting that I didn't get mine until now. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you that 10 years ago, I'd have been 22. I know I didn't fill out a census when I was 22. Um, now whether that was just ignorance and I got it in the mail and I threw it away or I just didn't know or whatever you want to call it, I know I didn't fill one out. So I know my, my family wasn't accounted for, you know what I mean? So I just, the reasoning I think is a lot of different things. I think that you're talking about how, where I live now is very educated according to that. Right. You know, that area, you know, high school education was 96% is what you said. So, you know, do I think conversations are different in places? Yeah. So, hey, make sure you fill out your census. Whereas over here, might not. that's not a priority. So that's not a conversation. Um, I think that there are, I think you could sit and think of a million reasons why the numbers are like they are. I just hope. I really am looking forward to doing that with you and sitting down and really comparing those numbers to see what they look like now. Before we go, a quick note on the census. North Carolina receives $16 billion from federal funding every year for programs based on census counts. So roughly every unaccounted person represents about $16,000 in losses in funding for the state. So if you haven't filled it out, please take a moment and do it. And for more information on the census, check out capefearcounts.com.